Welcome to Bible Foundations. We're continuing our study today on the tabernacle, that special place that God gave uh, to the Israelites as a demonstration of his presence and how his holiness was to be regarded as he promised now to bring his presence into the place that was called the tabernacle. The details were given to Moses in the mount as he had been given the uh, Ten Commandments. And we recognize that the importance of the tabernacle is critical to you and I because it was critical in God revealing his understanding of how he would send us the deliverer and what it would be like to approach him and how we were to, are to come to him his way. We see that God has not given anything lightly. He didn't give the Ten Commandments lightly. He didn't give instructions to Cain and Abel uh, lightly. He didn't give instructions to Adam and Eve lightly. He didn't give instructions to Noah lightly, and he didn't give instructions to Abraham lightly. He gave the specific details in each case that we might know how to come into his presence, and he just keeps adding a little more to our understanding. You see, God took time to demonstrate to mankind the seriousness of our sin problem the seriousness of approaching he who is holy. And folks, the marvelous thing is that he didn't turn his back on Adam and Eve. And he didn't turn his back on Noah and those who believed him. He didn't turn his back on those who believed after him. And he's not turning his back on the people of Israel, even though they know themselves and they uh, that they could not uh, keep his commandments. They were given those commandments and it showed them their need. And in desperation, they almost ran from his presence out of fear for him my friend and now God continues to call out to those who are sinners yes these Israelites were sinners as you and I are sinners and he demonstrates to them as he demonstrates to us that we must be very careful in how we come about to come to him we must come his way we can't come our own way you see and the Israelites couldn't come to God their way. They had to come to God just the way he would demonstrate to them in the building of the tabernacle. Now we'll remember that the tabernacle had two rooms. It had the first room that was entered from the outside, from the outer court, and it was called the holy place because God is holy and righteous and set apart from sinners, my friend. And then we saw that there was a second room called the inner room that was even more important. Now this these two rooms are the focal point of all that is called the tabernacle. This is the heart of the tabernacle that was built as a place for the presence of God. And God gave them the instruction and he says, now this is called the most holy place or the inner room, the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that means that it was not just to be entered by anyone, you see. This room was set apart for God, except for once a year, the high priest, whom we'll study about shortly, was allowed to enter. You see, Moses has given specific instructions in building the Ark of the Covenant out of the wood of a particular tree, and that wood was chosen by God. They couldn't do it their own way, my friend. They had to do it the way God instructed them to do it. And he was careful to give them the exact instructions that they needed. And then they were to make a lid of 
uh, pure gold. After they'd covered the inside and the outside of the Ark of the Covenant with gold, they were to make a lid of pure gold, which was called the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat was the most important part of the whole tabernacle. You see, this was the place where God promised to live with sin, with sinful people, with the sinful Israelites, and he would live there for the purpose of showing him mercy. Now, let's remember that God is still everywhere all at once, but he demonstrates his presence to the people and his holiness to them by being uh, making his presence known to them at the mercy seat. Now let's be reminded that mercy is God's provision for sinners to escape the punishment that they deserve for their sins. Now the Lord also told Moses that he was also to make two cherubim of gold and that either of them were to sit at each end of the mercy seat. Let's read it together in Exodus chapter 25 verse 18. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Now do you remember when we last heard about the cherubim? God had put a cherubim outside of the Garden of Eden so that Adam and Eve would not be able to return to the Tree of Life. The cherubim which were put there at the, at the gate of the Garden of Eden were, were real live cherubim. But these which Moses were to make were obviously just made from gold. Verses 19 and 20 tell us a little more about them. And make one cherubim on one end and the other cherubim on the other end. And even the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another, and toward the mercy seat shall be the faces, shall the faces of the cherubim be. God's giving specific details, you see, as to how this thing is to be made. For he's a holy God, he's perfect, and he demands that we do things his way. The two cherubim were to be placed facing one another at either end of the mercy seat. And the cherubim's wings were to be made so that they would stretch out toward one another over the lid, which was called the mercy seat. Their faces were to be looking down at the cover of the box, of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, you see. Now let's read on in verses 21 and 22. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the Ark, and in the Ark shalt thou put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there will I meet thee, meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the Ark of the Testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. God is telling Moses here that the ark was to be placed in the inner room, just inside the curtain. And the Lord told Moses to place the two tablets of stone inside the ark of the covenant under the mercy seat. These were the two tablets upon which God had written the Ten Commandments. God promised then that when everything was finished just the way he had commanded it, that he would come into the inner room. He demonstrated there, he told him that, that his presence would be evidenced by a very bright light between the cherubim. And this light has been referred to as the Shekinah glory, the radiance, the glory, or the presence of God living with his people Israel. 
Now there are many details in this whole construction of the tabernacle and the symbols and the instruments that were there that will be critically important to us at a later time. But right now in our foundational preparation, we want to move on to Scripture that deals especially with our need to come before God and what separates us with a, from a righteous and holy God. Move down now to chapter 26, verses 31 and 33 with me, if you will, please. Here God explains in detail how the veil is to be between the two rooms. Right to, uh, and right behind the veil is where the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and the cherubims were to sit. Verse 31 of chapter 26 says, And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work. With the cherubims shalt thou uh, make it. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood, over, overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold, and upon their sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the taches, that thou mayest bring in thither, within the veil, the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. You see, God gives a demonstration here of how holy he is and that he's not just to be approached lightly and he's not to be approached at all except by that one high priest once a year. He was the only one that was allowed to go behind this beautiful thick curtain. God told Moses that he was to hang this beautiful curtain, this very thick curtain, as a divider between the two rooms. And this curtain was to remind Israel as well as us that we were, they were separated from God because of their sin. You see, God is holy and righteous, my friend, and he's demonstrating further to us that he demands death as the payment of sin. And he's showing us that we're separated from him by our sin and that man is a sinner and he's helpless to save himself. Now God also continued to tell Moses that he was to make a fence of cloth curtains held upright between posts and to place it around the two-room structure with a courtyard in the, uh, uh, between that curtain and the, the uh, tabernacle or the two rooms. And he gives further instructions that the two-room tabernacle was to be covered with dyed animal skins and a final covering of animal hides to form the roof of the tent. Then he told them that just inside the entrance to the, of the curtain fence, they were to place an altar which God said was to be made of wood covered with brass. Now this altar that was to be made of wood and covered with brass that sat right inside the entrance to, of the courtyard, just inside the, the curtain that was around the tabernacle, we see God describing it to us now in chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be, made, be four square, and the height of it shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof, and his horn shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Now let's remind ourselves that the whole purpose of this tabernacle being built was to teach us about the approaching of God and how we're to come to him as sinful people who are separated from him. And he gave us the law to show us that we have a problem, that we have a problem with meeting his standard. And so now we see that God is teaching that when a person wanted to approach God, his first step was to bring a burnt offering to the Lord. Now that's not new. Burnt offerings had been brought to the Lord before, and we see the evidence that Abel brought 
an offering that was to be burnt before the Lord. And uh, so did Noah. After he came out of the ark, we saw that was the first thing that he did, is made an offering to the Lord. Then we see Abraham making an offering to the Lord. In fact, God spared his son Isaac and provided the lamb or the ram that was caught in the thicket, the perfect lamb, uh, ram, so that it could be offered to God. And now God is saying that here's the way he's to be approached in his tabernacle now. And the person who wanted to approach God was first to bring an offering to the Lord. And he was to bring it to the brazen altar just inside the gate of the tent that surrounded the tabernacle. Now I'm told that when a family brought their sacrifice to the Lord, and each family needed to do this, and uh, he was to, uh, the, the leader of the family was to bring the sacrifice into the courtyard, but the family stayed outside. And the head of the family was to bring that sacrifice for his family. And he was to take his hand and put it on the head of the animal and then to kill it. You see, by doing this, he was admitting to God that he was a sinner and that he deserved to die. By placing his hands on the animal, he was identifying himself with the animal that was to die in his place. Now over in the book of Leviticus, we read a little more detail about this sort of thing in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Let's read it together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and that's where we are in chapter 1. As we read it together, we'll notice that God allowed sheep and goats and bulls and birds as sacrifices. Let's read it together. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. And if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish, and he shall offer it of his own voluntary, and will at, and will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. For he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests Aaron's sons, and shall bring the blood, and sprinkle the blood round about the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So the head of the family was to bring the animal that he was to sacrifice, and as we mentioned, it could be one of several, but it was to be a perfect sacrifice. There was to be nothing ill about the critter. There was to be nothing wrong with it in any way. It was to be a perfect uh, a sacrifice. We've heard that before. As the children of Israel were uh, delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, they were told that they were to kill a perfect sacrifice, and they were to just uh, do that in just a perfect way. And in that case, they were to take the blood of the animal and they were to put it on the doorposts of the house and over the top of the door. And it was a symbol of the blood having been shed for the people as a substitute. Now we see that happening here in the tabernacle. The family leader was to bring that particular sacrifice and the animal's blood was to be shed and it was to be sprinkled around the altar where the sacrifice was to be burned. Now you'll remember at that time that we had uh, turned to Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 and we'll do that again for a moment where it tells us for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul for it is the blood that maketh atonement for your soul. 
God is teaching the importance of making an atonement for sin, an atonement for the sin of your soul. You see, the scripture has told us that the soul that sinneth it shall die. Now we're already under the curse of death in our body, but we're talking about the soul of a man. It doesn't just end when your body, uh, when your soul and spirit leave the body, my friend, but the scripture tells us that the Soul needs the atonement of the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, according to Hebrews chapter 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But could the blood of the animals pay for the sin? No, my friend. The blood of the animals was only a reminder or an illustration, or you might say a pattern, of the punishment that's demanded for sin. Separation of the sinner from God is the only payment, the only just payment for sin, you see. Obviously, God doesn't ask us to bring animal sacrifices to him today, but that was the provision he made for the Israelites, and God was going to make a better way to take care of our sins. Meanwhile, he's teaching the Israelites as he teaches us what he expects, and that the only way to him is his way. Man is a sinner. And he's helpless, you see. He's helpless to save uh, himself. And that's why we need God. We cannot come to God on our own. We have to come to God God's way. Now we see that the Lord appointed Aaron to be the high priest, and his sons were to be priests, according to Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. Read it with me, if you will, please. And take unto thee Aaron and thy, bro thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithmar, Aaron's sons. Now the scripture teaches us that only Aaron, the high priest, was allowed to go into the inner room, that is the most holy place where God was. If anyone else had gone behind the curtain and entered the inner room, he would have been killed. Aaron could only go into the inner room, uh, into that most holy place, once a year. And that was on the Day of Atonement, which means the Day of Covering. Atonement means covering, you see. And so they were to go in, he was to go in to the innermost holy place only once a year on the Day of Atonement. The only way he could enter, you see, was to come with the blood of an animal which had just been sacrificed. The Lord had given specific instructions in uh, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. And it says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times unto the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, and that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for sin, for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. Oh, my friend, God is holy and righteous, and he demands death as the payment for sin. You see, before Aaron entered into the holy place, he had to kill an animal and catch its blood in a basin. And then after he passed behind the heavy curtain, or the veil, which hung between the two rooms, Aaron was to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, the pure gold cover of the Ark of the Covenant. God was giving him explicit instructions as to how he was to come into his presence. You see, man can only come to God according to God's will and plan. 
if everything was done the way God had told Moses, then God promised to forgive the sins of Israel for the past year. But could the blood of the animals pay for their sins? No, the blood of the animals could not pay for their sins. The punishment for sin is death. And that includes the separation of the sinner from God forever. You see, God is so holy and just and righteous that when he says that the punishment for sin is death, he means that sin must be paid for in full. There's no way out of the full demand, you see, and the payment for sin is death. That's what God is teaching here. Nevertheless, God promised to hold off the judgment that they deserved and forgive their sins for the past year if they came to him in the way that he told them. You see, they had to come in to, to God God's way, and they must come to him believing him and bringing the blood sacrifice for their sin. You see, God will only accept those who come to him in the way that he says in the Bible. We see here God teaching his faithfulness that he promises to bring the bring about the judgment that he will give as the payment for sin, and that is death. But he's teaching the Israelites as he teaches you and I that a blood sacrifice is necessary. The blood had to be sprinkled in just the right way after it was poured out into a basin in just the right way, just as it had to be applied just the right way before the people could leave Egypt after the death, uh, the death angel passed over Pharaoh and all of those of Egypt who did not use the blood in the way that God had given them instructions. Now we see God teaching that the blood is an atonement for sin. It stalled the judgment in the payment of sin by death. Uh, until a later time. God was teaching something that's critically important to us. He's teaching us something about the coming deliverer, and we'll see what he teaches as we go along here. The story's not over yet, and he doesn't require us to pay with a blood sacrifice of an animal because he's showing us an important thing about the coming deliverer. So we'll stand by and continue to hear what God teaches us as we go along and see that the tabernacle is finished, and God came to live in the presence of the tabernacle and demonstrate his holiness to the people of Israel. Now turn back with me to Exodus chapter 39, and we'll read verses 42 and 43, and then on to chapter 40, verse 17. As we see that God has instructed Moses to do uh, the tabernacle and build it in just a certain way, and that's exactly what he did. He did what God told him to do. And the purpose of it all was that God would demonstrate his presence among his people. Can God do this, even though he's a spirit and he's everywhere all at once? Can he demonstrate himself in a special way, in a special place at the same time? You bet he can. He's God, my friend. He's not limited to our understanding. He tells us about himself because he's the only one who can. He's the only one that can demonstrate to us what he is really like and what is required. Requirements are. In these verses, chapter 39, verses 42 and 43, we see God demonstrating the explicit detail of what was to go into the tabernacle in order to please God. Verse 42 says, According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so, he, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it and Moses blessed them. 
Moses had to answer to God for the work being done in just the way God had delivered the instructions to him, you see. And so now we see that Moses is doing just that. He's inspecting the work of these people, and it was done just the way they'd been instructed. Verse 17 of chapter 40 says, And it came to pass on the first month, in the second year of the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. It was put together in its position, in its full operational uh, picture, as we see now the people doing what God had told them to do. Verses 34 and 35 tell us more specifically about the presence of God coming into the tabernacle as it's been set up now. This is Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of, of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God was satisfied that they had come his way, that they built the tabernacle in just exactly the way that it was supposed to be built and that Moses had given them in the end the specific instructions that he had given to Moses, and Moses inspected it, and Moses saw that it was done just the way God wanted it to be done. God had made a way for the people to come, separated, mind you, by their sin, unable to approach a righteous and holy God on their own, but God demonstrates a way where his presence could dwell among them, and he gives an example for our learning. Now, it's an important thing that we understand that all of these scriptures that we've been given throughout these uh, studies together have uh, been a direct result of God caring to communicate with you and I. He didn't leave us on our own, my friend, to die in our sin without a way of escape. He gave us the way that would please him, and he continually instructs us as he instructs the Israelites, and we pay attention to what, they, what uh, God said to them because it has to do with us. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the Scripture might have hope. You see, if we're in our sinful condition, separated from God, and we've acknowledged that we are, uh, each one must do that personally, coming to God, agreeing with him about his sin, and realizing even from the Ten Commandments that we just can't keep the standard that God demands. His standard is perfection. One violation causes separation from him. And he said that the soul that sinneth, it shall die that you see the wrath of God abides on all who are ungodly. And who are the ungodly? Those that pay no attention to him. Those that do not uh, uh, listen to what he has to say to them, even though they know where they can find out about him. Those who have sinned against God. My friend, that brings every one of us short. And so God says that death abides on all of us. But how can we then come into his presence? Well, he's promised to deliver. And this whole episode one after one after another has been to demonstrate to mankind to give us the patience and the comfort of the scripture that we might have hope my friend there's hope in the promises of god now god has taught us even more about coming into his presence that while he's everywhere all at once he will dwell in the presence of the israelites and they and god has moses built the the uh uh, tabernacle, the, or that is the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat of gold, the 
ark was to be overlaid inside and out with gold, and the, but the mercy seat was of pure gold. The purity of God's mercy is there, you see. And we see that the cherubims were to be uh, established in just the right way. And that the blood of uh, an animal was to be brought by the high priest. First of all, Aaron, the brother of Moses, who was the first high priest. And that blood was to be brought once a year for the sins of himself and the sins of the whole people. But God is making a way for us to approach him, even though we're sinners. And that's the point of this whole picture here. There's hope of what is yet to come in the promise of the deliverer. For in this picture of the tabernacle, there's unlimited resource to tell us what we've seen after we've seen the fulfillment of God's promise. We don't cover it all at once because we're laying foundational truths. And the important thing of this foundational truth in this lesson for us today is that God is holy and you just can't come his own way. Have you heard that before? Well, we'll hear it a little bit more because God keeps telling us that we just can't come our own way. We have to to come his way and he's showing us how desperately our sin separates us from him as he has Moses uh, build the ark of the uh, uh, the uh, tabernacle and there's two rooms and the innermost room is where the ark of the covenant is and that's where nobody but the high priest could go in one, one but once a year and it was separated from the outer room where the other priests went because that veil represents the separation between a righteous and holy god and sinful man and the priests will show us things, too, of what God will provide for us in the future in the Deliverer. You see, the Israelites were sinners before God, and they needed God's mercy. You and I are sinners before God, and we need God's mercy. That's why we keep saying and we keep repeating that the only way to God is God's way. We cannot decide how we will come to God. He's so perfect and so true and so righteous that the only way to Him is His way. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Foundations.